Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Uh, this series, and Cheryl and I um, are kicking it off. Uh, Pastor Jason's going to go deeper in the next few weeks about uh, loneliness and aloneness and many, many other things, but he asked us to kick it off talking about intimacy and sex. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. We are. I love talking about one, and I hate talking about the other. I'll <laughs> uh, be really honest. So let's start talking about intimacy, because that's, that's what I like to talk about. We were created for mm. intimacy, mm-hmm. for intimate relationships. Adam and Eve, way back in the Garden of Eden, at the beginning of human history, experienced intimacy with God and intimacy with each other in a profound and beautiful way. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed, and it wasn't just physical, it was emotional as well. No hiding, no pretending, fully seen, fully known, fully loved. And when they broke trust with God, When they did the one thing that God asked them not to do, they not only lost intimacy with God, they lost intimacy with each other. They immediately turned on each other and started blaming and pointing fingers. Immediately the intimacy was broken. And here's the truth. Human beings have had a hard time with intimacy ever since, have we not? We've been on a quest ever since to regain what we lost back in the garden, to rebuild what was broken, to come home to what we were created for, intimacy with God and intimacy with other people. Not all other people. Let's be clear about that. Not every human relationship needs to be an intimate relationship. Chances are, over your lifetime, you will have hundreds of acquaintances. You will have way fewer friends and you will have way fewer intimate relationships. That's normal. It's because intimacy is hard. Intimacy takes time. Intimacy costs us something. Intimacy requires us to risk something of ourselves. And we as human beings don't have the capacity for that kind of investment in every relationship. But we have within us, hardwired into us, a fundamental need to have some and at the very least, one intimate relationship. So how do we do that? That's, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Which is a very complicated topic, right? It's very nuanced. How do you grow relationships? How do you grow intimacy? And, and intimacy, of course, is, is a bit of a scale, right? I mean, there, there's really our closest intimacy, which is just, you know, one or a few people. But we grow in intimacy. So we want to talk about that. And because it's kind of abstract and because it's nuanced and subtle, uh, we thought we'd have a concrete tool to help us think about it. And uh, that's, uh, it flashed up once already. Some of you know this. It's called the Johari Window, this little tool. Mm-hmm. takes you back to your undergrad psychology days, Some of yes? Some you are PTSD yeah. right now. Okay, so it's, it's invented by a couple of psychologists to help us understand human beings and our relationships. So here's, here's uh, the first thing. Let's go to the blue box. The blue box represents... Um, the kinds of things between us that uh, would be more common or more basic, right? I mean, when you meet somebody, it's like, hey, what's your name? Here's my name. And now that's in the blue box. You know, what do you do? Well, that's what I do. Here's what I'm studying. Here's where I came from. Here's what I hope to do. You know, I mean, what you share, all of a sudden it's in the blue box, right? It's, it's, it's what relationships are made of. It's a really relationship one-on-one kind of stuff. And it's good and it's necessary. But if we want to be intimate, there has to be more. So we need to go to the next stage, which is uh, the orange box. And these are things, or the green mm-hmm. box, I should say. These are things that are known to me, but the other person could never know them unless I share them, right? 
They'll never know them unless they share them. Here's a little example from our story. So uh, many, many years ago, Cheryl and I have been married for 41 years, about two years into our marriage. She turned to me and said something I've never forgotten. She said, if I tell you something, do you promise not to laugh? Well, that's a nice intro, right? Because I have no idea what's coming, but I'm apparently not supposed to laugh. And uh, so I, okay, sure, yeah. So what she told me was that she was thinking about exploring becoming a broadcaster. And we'd dated for a couple years, we'd been married for a couple years, and I had no idea that this was a hope of hers, a dream of hers, an idea of hers. And so, no, I didn't laugh because it was a darn good idea. And she pursued it and ended up having a 25-year career in television. And, you know, it's all good. But I did not know that until she disclosed it, right? Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of stuff that uh, the other person doesn't know unless we tell them, unless we disclose it. And intimacy can't grow until we do. That's really, part of intimacy. And I really didn't think he'd laugh at me, to be honest. <laughs> he's, he's never responded that way to anything that I've disclosed to him. But, but it was a little dream that I had tucked away inside of me. And, and it felt really risky to kind of say it out loud and to kind of put it out there and say, what do you think about this? And I think that's, that's what this green box is so hard sometimes for us. It's just these things that are tucked away inside of us. It's really threatening to kind of offer them up to somebody else opening up our, our dreams and our fears and, and uh, our, the things we know about ourselves that we're not too sure how somebody else, we're afraid of what they'll think. We're afraid that um, what they might do with what we share. In my case, we're afraid that, in this case, that he might minimize something that was really important to me and that I'd kind of held tightly for a long time. We're afraid we might be rejected. The truth is, though, if we want our relationships to grow towards intimacy, we're going to have to risk opening up some of those things to other people. The caution is this. While that is 100% true, and it is, the caution is that we can open ourselves up only when it's wise. It takes um, how openly we share should be related to trust. Mm -hmm. And trust should be related to how trustworthy the other person is. It's not smart to open ourselves wide open to somebody who's not reliable, to somebody who's not trustworthy, to somebody who doesn't respect us, or somebody who doesn't want mm -hmm. the best for us. So hear an amen on that. Mm -hmm. We can share too deeply, <laughs> too quickly, and that does one of two things. It either attracts people to us who will take advantage of us, or secondarily, it, it kind of has the opposite effect than what, what's intended. It kind of pushes people away because it's like they're flooded with too much information too quickly and, and they kind of back away. So that's the caution. But here's the caution on the caution. <laughs> we can be so afraid of being taken advantage of or having people kind of push away from us that we never share anything significant with other people, right? We live behind a facade. A facade behind a wall. Some uh, people refer to that green box as a facade. And we live behind there, protecting all these things, keeping others away. And sometimes, truthfully, that's because we've been hurt by people we did trust, we did open up, and somebody betrayed us. And so we're not going, I'm not going there again. I'm not doing that again. I'm not feeling that pain again. And so we, we, we build this wall around ourselves. But the result is fewer relationships yeah. in our life, or no relationships. Yeah or very surface relationships with no intimacy and a growing sense of isolation and loneliness. 
So bottom line on the green box, to grow intimate relationship requires us to be risk takers, to open ourselves up a little bit to other people, yeah. but let's be wise risk takers. Be progressive, open up, and when there's trust, open up some more and open up some more. That's how we grow intimacy. Yeah. The second way we grow intimacy, and we'll represent this by the orange box, there's stuff in our lives that's unknown to us, but frankly, other people can see it. And that's a beautiful thing about an intimate friendship is we can learn a lot about ourselves in an intimate friendship. In fact, we need to learn a lot about ourselves through our intimate friends. So, so just a simple example, um, my wife has told me that I whisper too loud. He does. That I whisper totally too does. loud. And of course I said- Is that man wearing a toupee? <laughs> yeah, because I'm usually saying something like that, yes, right? Like, yes. oh, look at that person. At any rate. And he thinks he's being quiet, I know, because I would not. always say, no, I don't whisper too loud. I'm speaking in your ear that you just think it's loud. Yeah. But I checked with our son, Brady, and he said, yeah, you whisper too loud. So, <laughs> so I start to go, okay, this is a blind spot, right? And in the orange box represents kind of those blind spots that we don't get it until somebody else helps us get it. And that's one of the beauties of an intimate relationship. And the more honest and intimate a relationship is, the more we can learn there. Mm -hmm. Now, um, that's a little thing. It takes, yeah, that's a little thing, but man, there's some really, really big things that are really important. Um, people come to us and they really help us when they say stuff like, uh, and intimate friends are the only ones who will do this. Really good friends are the only ones who will do this. Say, man, w w when you get angry, nobody wants to be around you. Did you know that? Or they'll come to us and, and, and you know, they'll say, um, what was I going to hit with my other example? Hey, dude, mm -hmm. you're headed for trouble here. Like, I can see it. Can you see it? I want to help you, man. I'm, I'm on your side, but you're just headed in the wrong way. See, good friends will tell you that. You're blind to it, but can I help you? But it's not all negative, okay? Like, good friends do really positive things, too. When they help us see things in the orange box, maybe it's something like, hey, did you know you're really good at that? Mm -hmm. I watched you do that. I think you have a gift. You should do more of that, right? I mean, good friends build stuff up in our lives, too. And that's what we need because we all have blind spots. We have things that are undiscovered. And that's what it takes to grow intimacy as well, that we start to be humble. We start to be humble enough, the kind of humility that'll learn from somebody else, mm -hmm. that'll receive from somebody else. When they yeah. say, hey, did you know this? You go, I didn't know that, but I know you're on my side and I know you're, you want the best for me, so I'm gonna receive that. That's part of growing intimacy too. Mm -hmm. Then there's the black box. This is the quadrant that represents the things that are unknown to me and unknown to everybody else. This is what nobody knows about us. And we don't even know. Hmm. These are things we have not yet discovered about ourselves. And some of these are good things. We have undiscovered gifts and talents, as Neil said, hopes and dreams that we haven't even accessed yet ourselves that are just somewhere down and below the surface bubbling around in there. Sometimes they can be wounds and hurts that are so deeply buried in us that we don't even know they're there. We kind of have a squishy feeling sometimes about them, but we can't articulate them. We can't acknowledge them. We don't even really know they're there. Here's the thing about interesting, intimate relationships, trusting, honest, intimate relationships. In these kinds of relationships, stuff comes to the surface. There's something in our psyche that seems to know when it's safe for these things to come to the surface. Neil and I lead uh, an organization called Family Life Canada, and we teach marriage and relationship seminars uh, all across Canada. One of the most common things that happens is young couples will come up to us and they'll say, I don't know what's going on. One of them will say, I'm, I'm starting to get like 
stuff from my childhood or from my adolescence is coming back and it's creating a problem in our relationship and I don't know why because I've never felt more loved, I've never felt more safe. And we're like, that's exactly why it's coming up. You've never felt more loved. You've never felt more safe. Something in you says, oh, it's okay now for this to come out and this to emerge. And couples will mistakenly think there's something wrong with their marriage. There must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with him. There must be something wrong with our relationship. And we have the privilege of saying, no, 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 no. There's a, that's actually a really good sign. It's a really healthy sign that this stuff is coming up. That's what relationships are designed for, actually, to create a safe, intimate place where we not only explore who the other person is, we get to explore who we are, where we can help each other grow and where we can help each other heal from our wounds. To grow in intimacy requires shrinking the green box, the things I know about me but you don't know about me, Shrinking the orange box, the things you know about me that I'm not yet aware of or I can't see my blind spots, and together being willing to open up the black box of what's yet unknown to both of us. So, so it might seem like a hard turn. Uh, we're going to talk about sex for a little bit, but sex is an incredible <laughs> tool for building intimacy. Okay, you with me? Did you make that whiplash? <laughs> nope, but anyway, we're there. Sex is this incredible tool to build intimacy, let's talk a little bit about, about the way that works. There's a lot of ways to talk about sex, okay? And you've probably been in talks uh, where it's been spoken about theologically or it's been spoken about morally or it's been spoken about behaviorally. Uh, we wanna talk about it relationally. What's the relational impact? What's the intimacy mm -hmm. impact of sex in our life? Now, let, let's dive into this a little bit by, by looking at a scripture and I think we, uh, we're going to have it up on the screen too, okay? But let me read it. See, God has designed sex. God's designed sex to be this wonderful, um, powerful, bonding, intimacy act between lovers, which is why we need to be really wise how we handle it. And here's some biblical wisdom, okay? From 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, Paul starts off, he says, Now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? And Paul answers, Certainly within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other whether in bed or out. And just brief aside, this, marriage, this sermon isn't about marriage, but if there's a better one sentence description of great marriage in the Bible, I don't know what it is. <laughs> marriage is a decision to serve the other person, whether in bed or out. Man, that, you, can, you can build a marriage on that. Okay, I digress back to the, we're talking about sex, right? Okay, so he says, marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it. And if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only <laughs> for such times. Not tonight, honey. I'm, I'm praying. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> then come back together again. <laughs> oh, yeah, that part. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just pause. <laughs> Let's just keep moving. <laughs> Collect our thoughts. Hey, so the, the biblical teaching is that sex is good. It's really, really good. 
within a certain context. And the context the Bible teaches is this. The trust, the security, oh yeah, I, I don't have this mic, I have the other one, nice. The trust, the security, the safety of a marriage covenant, the unconditional promise that we make before God and to our spouse that I will be faithful to you alone, I will never leave you or forsake you, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're sick or healthy, man, that's the security that's the perfect context that Paul's talking about here. That's the place to experience and grow intimacy through sex. This is the best possible context for sex. We know this. We know this from our 41 years of marriage. We've been working 14 years full-time in marriage. I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people we've talked to. Plus, we've done tons of research. I'm telling you, we're telling you, the best context for the best sex is within the safety and security of a marriage covenant. You see, sex is this place of great sex requires us to be really vulnerable and open and free. And we can't do that when we're afraid, when we don't know where we're at, when we don't know if the person is going to be good to us or not, whether they're going to be there tomorrow or not. And the best place to have the best sex is within the security of a covenant relationship. Sex is nuanced and fluid and it's, it's, it's different and it's unique and it changes in the seasons of our lives. And, and so uh, the best sex is when we have the sex with the same person over a long period of time and get to know them and get get good at it. this is what I tell you all the time we just got to practice practice <laughs> practice if we're gonna really be good at it <laughs> TMI okay <laughs> <laughs> and and here's the other deal sex That's not in the notes <laughs> sex with the same stick with the script baby. no stick the best the stuff isn't in the notes <laughs> that's what I'm really afraid yeah of. exactly <laughs> This is one of those blind spots I have, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sex with the same person grows intimacy. It grows intimacy in the most profound ways, which leads to better sex, which grows intimacy, which leads to better sex, and on and on and on. See, the connection between sex and intimacy isn't just physical or biological, okay? Can I just, you know, get real sort of uh, clear about the way this works? And you, maybe you already know this, maybe you don't already know this, but let me make it really clear. When we have sex and we have an orgasm, our body is flooded with a chemical called dopamine. And this is the chemical that goes, I want more of that. Dopamine hits us, anything that creates a rush and that we want more of is usually associated with dopamine. It is associated with drug addictions and all the rest. So we get a rush of dopamine when we have sex, when we have an orgasm. And then it's followed right after with this uh, a wash of uh, oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. Mm -hmm. Oxytocin is the bonding hormone that a mom is flooded with when she's nursing her infant. And there's only one time when a man's oxytocin level reaches the level of a woman's, and that's right after sex. Mm -hmm. We turn into girls. We kind of turn into girls, yes. Mm -hmm. We want to cuddle and we share Watch feelings and, and I love you. And <laughs> that might be too far. But, you know, I, you know, there's this thing. And this is the beautiful design that God has made, that sex would bond us make us addicted in the best possible sense to our partner, to our spouse. That's brilliant. And so over the course of a lifetime, when we're faithful to the same person, we become more and more bonded, more and more addicted to them in every good way. But here's the deal. That's why we're going to, I jumped ahead, sorry, yeah, but yeah, the yeah, best yeah, sex yeah. we're ever yeah. going to have is within the security of a marriage covenant, being faithful to the same mm -hmm. person 
for a lifetime. Yeah, but let's just be honest. We know that not every marriage lasts, right? That's right. I mean, most of us have divorce in our story, divorce in our family, uh, maybe in, even in our own story. And some, so there are lots of reasons why marriages end, but the number one overarching reason is a lack of intimacy. And sometimes it's because couples really don't, they've never had it. They actually don't know what it looks like. They've never seen it in their families. They've never seen it in relationships around them. We don't know what intimate relationship looks like. And so they, they, they end the marriage. Sometimes they think if, if it's the partner's fault that, that they're not experiencing it. If, if I had somebody else, then I'd have that intimate feeling. Sometimes people are just so broken. You know, we've, we've had the privilege of hearing people's stories, and sometimes there's th what's happened to them in their life before marriage was so horrific. They're so broken. They're so wounded. Their life experiences almost make it impossible for them to open up or trust and, and open up themselves to another person to give and receive love. We love what we do at Family Life. Neil and I have the privilege of helping couples learn what it looks like to grow in intimacy, to grow in oneness. We also have the privilege of reminding people, those who have Jesus in their lives, that Jesus can heal up those broken places and give us the ability to, mm -hmm. to enter wholly into a relationship. So that's what we've learned, but we've also learned this. There's one thing that shatters intimacy more than anything else, and that is sexual infidelity. There's something about the relationship to our soul and our sexuality that is so intricately connected that when that trust is broken, it breaks our heart. And while couples can come back from everything, yep. this is a We've seen super it. hard thing to come back from. We really need to understand this. If we can just take another minute, just we dwell here because it's so important to understand. And I didn't understand this as a younger person, and it would have really helped me. Our bodies are this incredible machines, which means that if we're healthy, when we are sexually active, when we have an orgasm, that experience will trigger the pleasure and the dopamine and the oxytocin. That's just the way we're built. When we experience that, friends, we must understand that doesn't mean you're in love. That doesn't mean that's the person for you. That means you're healthy and your body's working the way it was made. That's what... I know that sounds unromantic, but it's really important for us to understand that because this relational dynamic affects our intimacy. The truth is we will become a little bit bonded to everyone or everything we're sexually active with. With everybody we have this encounter with, we become a little bit bonded to them. And here's the truth. Over time, we become less capable of being fully bonded fully satisfied and fully intimate with our spouse because we are micro-bonded with many. It's a principle, and we've seen it over and over and over again. This is true whether we're talking about real-life human sex partners or whether we're talking about digital fantasy partners, whether we're talking about real life or porn. And, you know, Cheryl and I, whenever we teach about sex today, we always have to teach about pornography. And, and we're going to do that a little bit because it's really, really important. And we really care about you. And this church really cares about being real. And this church really cares about being healthy. Okay? So we're going to talk about it. But I want to say a couple things first um, because they're not always understood. Pornography is both a male and female issue. Uh, the stats are clear that men still use porn at a much higher level than women. But the women cohort is growing. So it's, it's a male and female issue. And of course, if you're in a relationship, it affects everybody who's in it. And the other thing I, I need to say to you, and um, 
not a happy thing to say to you, but uh, I think it's really important because I've heard lots of sort of lofty and moral um, conversations about porn. Uh, I wish it was not true, but uh, porn's been part of my story, which means it's been part of our story. It's not now, and uh, it was quite a long time ago, and I really deeply regret it because it really hurt us, and I know what it does to intimacy, but we also know something about how to repair it. So I want you to understand that this is not coming from a, hey, I don't do this, you shouldn't either, okay? This is like, I struggle with this, we've lived with it. I don't want you to be in an unhealthy place, okay? Can we understand? Thank you. All right, so here's what we really, really need to understand. When we use porn and we experience this orgasm and on the dopamine, the oxytocin, we move bit by bit to being addicted and bonded to those images and to the fantasies and ever more addicted to the pornography experience. Now, we can make a strong moral case against pornography. Uh, it's one of the ironies of our day that on one day we'll go out and we'll protest sexual slavery, which is a good thing to do, and then go and use porn. Industries heavily invested in sexual slavery. Industry fueled by sexual slavery. And when we participate in it, we're supporting it. We can build a strong moral case. It's abuse. It's assaulting the dignity of a person God has created. I mean, there's a lot morally wrong, but what we want to talk about today is just the relational impact. When we meet with couples who are in relational pain, I bet you at least three quarters of the couples, right? It comes out like porn is robbing their intimacy. And porn does rob both parties of the intimacy. The one not using the porn is hurt and betrayed and loses trust and it's hard for them to open up. And the one that, that is using porn typically feels shame and guilt and withdraws. And then, you know, when we feel shame and guilty, what do we do? We go back to our escape behavior, right? When we feel shame and guilt and hurt, we all go back to our uh, soothing behaviors, which may mean we just use more porn we got to get to a better place mm. because it will rob our intimacy mm -hmm. and we want, mm -hmm. you understand? That's what we're teaching about. It's because we want you to be healthy and happy in every possible good way. So when I talk to men about this, a lot of them say to me, you know, I was exposed to porn in an early age and, and that was my story. And they'll often say, you know, that uh, it was their intent that as soon as they get married, they'll quit. And once, you know, they, they, they have a regular sex partner, they won't do it anymore. And I listen to these men, uh, myself included, and go, that's not the way it turns out. We need to address it now. Please don't believe the myth. You see, because when we use porn, we have all these, uh, this conditioning, this addiction. We create neural pathways in our brain. And no 20, 30-minute ceremony erases those neural pathways. We're going to have to get over those. And by God's grace and with yeah. the right, right things, you talk about, you know, that the blue box, pardon me, the uh, green box. Part of my story was... I have an accountability partner. I mean, I took stuff that was out of hiding and shared it with somebody else so that I could get to a better place. And uh, we need to do that. And uh, the sooner, the better. Mm -hmm. The longer we indulge it, the deeper the neural pathways, the more difficult it'll be to, uh, to rebuild. But don't lose sight of the fact new beginnings are always possible. Yeah. We can always turn around. We can always rebuild. Yeah. I want to say that. And actually, I just want to publicly honor Neil for bringing something out of the green box in his life to share with all you, many of whom we yeah. don't know. Um, and please, I'll don't, be, please don't talk to me afterwards. I'll be really honest. Yeah, yeah. 
We'll talk about Harry and Meghan and, you know, the Super Bowl. Don't worry. If you come talk no. to us afterwards, no, that's let's not No, let's talk about real life. It's way more important. Um, here's the thing. I, I'll be honest with you. This has been a part of our life, our marriage for a year in the past, quite a long time in the past. But I was not willing to talk about it publicly until about three years ago. Mm. I wanted to keep it behind that nice yeah. facade. So did I. You know, and, well, you were more willing than I was. And I, I put... I put my foot down and kind of like, we can't do that. And God slowly went to work and said, no, 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 no. I really want you to open up that part of your marriage, that part of your life in order to be helpful to other people. And so I don't know if you feel more intimate with us <laughs> for having shared that, uh, but there's a risk. There's a yeah. risk, but, it, but I know that some mm. of you are connecting with us mm. in a deeper way because I know some of you are like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about, you know. I know exactly. I'm stuck in pornography. I don't know how to get out. I really want to get out. So as Neil said, we'd, we'd love to talk to you. There's help. Uh, talk to us. Talk to Pastor Jason. Uh, go to the Family Life Canada website. There's some great resources there. But bring it out of the darkness into the light and begin to get help. That's one thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is there's, there's forgiveness in this too, you know? We sang a great thing, uh, who the sun sets free is free yeah. indeed. We sang Amen. that this morning. And the yeah. Bible says that when we confess our sin, and, I, and let's just be honest about this, pornography is sin. It's not just sin against God. It's sin against ourselves. Mm -hmm. It destroys who God created us to be. And it destroys the potential for our best self to, to emerge. But the Bible says when we confess our sin, God's faithful and just to forgive our sin, and he will take it from us as far as the east is from the West, and he will remember it no more. Mm, amen. It's and neither news. should we. Mm. It should allow us to move into our, our future with freedom and wholeness and health. And when the time comes, if you're not already, already married, to engage in a, in a healthy, whole relationship with another person without that being part of your story. I want to tell you that there is uh, such freedom, there is such health, there is such mm -hmm. wholeness, and there is such joy... Mm. On the other side of pornography, you can't even begin to imagine. Hmm. And it's worth the work of digging.